make sure you're gaming the way you wish to game and don't let the rules be the be the boss you're the boss of the mm. rules you want to went out and bought the rules so fundamentally you own them you, you shouldn't let them own you and that's what i would tell anybody getting back into game or even somebody who's currently gaming but especially people getting back into gaming because them they're in a situation where it's very easy to imagine all right i don't know where to start so i'm going to start where the book in front of me tells me I should start. Mm. And right there, there's a tendency to be drawn into those rules. And uh, someone who's gamed for a long time and continued to game perhaps will be a little more skeptical of those rules. But fundamentally, you should always be a little skeptical of the rules. If you say the real life ends up your days and you don't have time to play Midlife is the best time to start a new role-playing phase And you need a rescue Chase coming at you with a rescue A role-play rescue Chase gonna help my friend Let's sit down the game again Rescue Hello and welcome. My name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue the podcast about rediscovering your lost role-playing hobby. We are incredibly blessed today to have a second interview with the tabletop role-playing luminary. Following on from last week's interview with Steve Jackson, I was basically greedy enough to ask for permission to speak to the GURPS line editor as well. Without any hesitation, both Steve and Sean said yes. And so here we are. Thank you to my guest for agreeing to come on the show. This is a second bonus interview courtesy of Steve Jackson Games, so thanks must go to SJ Games for letting me do it. Thank you very much, Steve. This is a 30 patron bonus episode, Talking GURPS with Sean Punch. Sean Dr. Crom Punch set out to become a particle physicist in 1985, ended up the GURPS line editor in 1995, and has engineered rules for almost every GURPS product since. During the GURPS third edition era, he compiled both GURPS compendium volumes, developed GURPS Light, wrote GURPS Wizards and GURPS Undead, and edited or revised dozens of other titles. With David Pulver, he produced the GURPS basic set fourth edition in 2004. Sean has been a gamer since 1979. He lives in Montreal, Quebec, and he is allegedly owned by some cats. Welcome, and thanks for joining us, Sean. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm really uh, happy to have a chance to discuss, now more than ever, something with another human being is outside the building where I live. <laughs> yeah, these are weird times. Uh, recording very weird times. Recording during pandemic and all the rest of it. But I, I'm really grateful for you coming on because, again, I'm trying to put something out there right now. Um, I've noticed many podcasters are, you know, snowed with real life right now and not putting stuff out. And I'm sitting at home locked in, much like you, I think, and feeling like, well, we could put something out. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, no problem at all. So I wanted to go right back to the beginning and ask, like, how did you become a gamer? What's your origin story, Sean? Well, it's it's... Probably very familiar to a lot of people who are established gamers, but those who have perhaps not gamed much, it'll seem a little weird. I started in 1979 because I had a group of, 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 other, of other guys about my age. We were, I guess we would have been around 12 years of age in the same school. And as young, young fellows of 12 years of 
age are prone to do, we really were up to no good pretty much full time. And one, one guy said, hey, why are we always doing nothing in particular? I've got this great game we should all be playing. And he rolled out uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, first edition, a very, I believe it was a first printing in, in, in very questionable shape, okay. uh, like covers coming off and pages coming out, things like this. And we started playing, at which point uh, we played that for perhaps, I don't know, a number of weeks, at which point my another friend of mine, the first friend was named Michael. The second was Wayne. Wayne uh, said, you know, this is great, but I think there are other games. You should play other games. So he went to our local gaming store, and Wayne, who was the only one who had any money for some reason, bought <laughs> loads of games, and he kept doing this. And actually, I seem to recall we one point took tally, and we had played something like 30 games inside of four or five years between 1979 and the early 80s. And you have to appreciate in the early 80s, there weren't that many games out there. So that was probably mm. most of them at that point. Yeah. And uh, it quickly became apparent that I was one of the more devoted people in that gang. Myself and Wayne ended up being the game master for pretty much everything we played. And this didn't include just role-playing games, but every kind of game imaginable, including uh, vast arena combats and car wars, which was an arena combat with cars that went yeah. till, I don't know, four in the morning at some sometimes. And uh, the parents were quite happy with this because four in the morning playing games is much better than four in the morning coming in. Where were you? Oh, out doing things. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the early origins of me as a gamer. Fantastic. And obviously, role-playing games have become very important to you. You've made um, a life of them, really. Why is that? What is it about role-playing? Well, it's sort of interesting because I stayed a gamer the whole time, okay? And mm. uh, in the mid-90s, I started work on it professionally because, to be honest with you, I was in the midst of a doctorate in physics and... Uh, I uh, suddenly discovered one morning my, my supervisor had dropped dead. Now, that sounds macabre, but the reality was he wasn't in really good health and it was kind of expected. But at the same time, the, the way politics work in university departments is that you don't necessarily continue on when the person who's got your back has been put in a box, which is what happened to me. So I started working mm. on games and I realized at some point working on games that it was actually very, very close to what I've been doing all along. And I realized at some point that I have the kind of head that likes to look at how things work, how, how things develop, how things can be represented. I mean, the, the difference between practical physics and role-playing games, to be honest, is vast, but the difference in the kind of mind you need to to find patterns and yeah. then to, to put the patterns down where others can understand them, that's, it's, it's, it's very similar. And, and so I came to it really in that direction. I came to yeah. it from, I guess you could say, that's how my brain works. Right, okay. How did you become a player of GURPS? Was that through Wayne? Uh, sort of, not not quite, but sort of. We we played far too many games. Yeah. Uh, when I say far too many, like I said, thirty when a time when there probably were thirty games, and at a certain point we played man to man because we liked Steve Jackson's other games. We played a lot mm -hmm. of ogre, a lot of car wars. I mean, we played the death car wars, and then man to man, the arena combat game came out. We kind of liked that because we kind of liked the idea of basically charging around on an arena with no particular objective in mind other than wailing on each other with weapons. Mm -hmm. But we thought that was kind of neat at the time. And then was not just Wayne, but myself, Wayne, and one or two of the others. We said, well, they're coming up with a whole role-playing game of which this is just the combat system. Right. And so we decided that, uh, well, we give it a shot. Hey, how bad could it be? Because it's from the Steve Jackson, who, who, who mm -hmm. we thought was quite a good game designer. Mm -hmm. And uh, we fell in love with it as a game system because it didn't tell us you have to play a fantasy game or you have to play a science fiction game or you have to play starting out heroes who can't do anything effectively, or you have to play superheroes who can do everything effectively, which all other games up to that point 
really. They really worked that way. I mean, there were some exceptions, some partial exceptions. Chaosium's basic role-playing was somewhat generic. Uh, Hero was moving in a generic direction. But at that point, generic meant you took the same game engine and you put it in a bunch of little compartments, each one for a different genre and power level. Mm -hmm. And you really didn't attempt to make them a single unified game. And when GURPS came out, we realized, oh, it was a unified game. So our first few games with GURPS were to be honest, kind of mad. They didn't make a whole lot of sense. They were kind of like, let's take what we know about D&D, which we liked, fantasy games with hacking and slashing and treasure, but put strange story elements in that really don't fit fantasy hacking and slashing at all. So I guess the first thing we did with GURPS was get away from being what they, what people fondly or unfondly called murder hobos yeah. and start actually having characters who had stories and backgrounds that actually made sense in a game system which gave you the skills and abilities to have a character that had something yeah. other than just... I kill people with a sword. Oh, look, this is the I kill people with a gun ability. And over here, we have the not getting killed by swords, the gun ability. <laughs> Pretty much how most games were up to that point in time. Yeah. Um, it's that, you know, the, well, generic universal role-playing system. Um, it was a bold uh, statement the first time I read it. And I re remember Steve's initial um, introduction that was there in GOAT's first edition and remains all the way through into fourth edition, you know, that statement about what this game is and how it came about. Um, that was, uh, you know, very bold, very, uh, I think in the 86, was it, when it published? Um, you know, absolutely nothing like it in my experience. Was it similar for you? Yes, and uh, the, the part in that introduction, it's funny you'd mentioned introduction because I actually had a left impression on me as well, was the bit where he said he was going to use real-world units and refer to real-world things. Yeah. He said it wasn't going to be realistic in the sense that it was going to be 100% realism. It was going to be realistic in the sense that it was plausible, mm. and, you, and you could put other things into it from the real world as well as from other games, and it would work after a fashion. And, yeah. I, and I was a little skeptical of the claim, like probably most people are when they read such a claim. But nonetheless, yeah. I was impressed by it. And I wanted to see if it was, if it was true or mostly true or somewhat true. And uh, I was impressed by the fact that it was mostly true. I mean, like any mm. game, there were hitches. But yes, yes, that was very much something that left an impression on me early on, which is probably why I stuck with that game. I've um, always been seeking verisimilitude, you know, that sense of the appearance of realism within my gaming. And through, I don't know, I own thousands of role-playing games, you know, for PDF and imprinting. I only have to turn slightly to my left and there are stacks and stacks and stacks of games. But GURPS has been on my pile since, you know, about 1998, I think I came to third edition. So just as you were, you know, picking up and, and working through the compendium. I think the uh, compendia were uh, some of the early books that I bought along with the core rule book. And yet I didn't play it. I was somehow daunted by it, you know? So I think coming to this interview, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, that how, how you get into it, how do you make it work for you? Because what I realized is it's very different to other role-playing games. And you've already alluded to why, you know, most of them turn up with a set of preconceptions for you to play with. Uh, GURPS kind of doesn't do that. It turns up with, hey, here's a whole toolkit of stuff. Go play. Whereas if I pick up Dungeons Dragons 5th Edition, you know, I come with a bunch of character classes and a whole bunch of assumptions and a whole power level that's pretty super heroic, to be honest. GURPS says, yeah, do what you want. That's, you know, that's where I'm coming from anyway. So 
I don't know how GURP sort of fitted into the scene, actually, by the time you took over as line editor. Um, what was, you know, how was it faring in the pre-D20 world at that time? When you came in 95, what was the scene like? When I came in 95, it was interesting because at that point, there were other generic games in the market, real generic games, not just mm. GURPS. So there was competition for the generic market. And I'm not going to say someone did it worse or better than we did. There were just different approaches to generic. Sure. Uh, but also at that point, that was when really I would say storytelling games, games which were starting to depart from caring that much about mechanics and were more mm. focused on uh, telling tales, were mm. really in full. They really started to come into their own at that point. They had existed yeah. all along, but they became a stronger part of things. And that actually helped GURPS in many ways mm -hmm. because it had elements that people said, what's the point? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you have to understand GURPS has skills for everything and abilities for everything. And so... Yeah. You look at that game and you realize that, well, all these things for social manipulation or for that matter, I don't know, you name it, so, kind of cutting down trees or, or driving cars or anything, it isn't fighting really, uh, were sort of, well, what, what are they there for? And it started to be evident why they were there. But at the same time, not, the 95 was around when there were an awful lot of games in the market and we started to have to accept the fact that there was going to be always more competition for the gaming I don't know if I would say the gaming dollar, the gaming pound or whatever, but I would yeah. say the gaming, the game, mind, mind share, I suppose, is the term people like to use. Mm -hmm. So that started to become evident to me. And the third thing that was important to me at the time was uh, I was brought in 95 because GURPS had started to grow in a rather, I would guess I would say, haphazard fashion. Mm. There were, there had been two previous editions. Uh, the third was in swing and already revised. Mm -hmm. And Steve had already started hinting there was going to be at some point a fourth edition. And mm -hmm. all, all through that process, I looked and said, wow, there's lots of different versions of the rules. They, aren't, they don't entirely agree with one another. Plus, mm -hmm. they've been added to by literally dozens of authors writing throughout uh, a period of uh, approximately 10 years at that point. And my job was, uh, it was sort of one of those, your challenge, your mission to choose to accept it is to put all this in something like a logical framework and steer it, keep your hand on the tiller, because I have other games in developing, says Steve, and uh, we need somebody to take care of this one because it's rather big, which is an understatement at the time. There were, <laughs> uh, there were vast numbers of books. I mean, off to my right, there's a GURPS library, which is this menacing cabinet of books, which could, if it fell over, would kill me right now. And yeah. the, half of those probably existed in that era. And uh, so when I came to GURPS in 95, that's what I was facing, a wall of books uh, a bunch of changing expectations of the game market and a certain degree of competition for what I would call the generic game market. Mm, absolutely. And um, when you kind of took over, I mean, what is the story behind that? You you sort of said a little bit about, you know, kind of coming out of your uh, university days and into that. How did you make the connection in? How did well, you know, Steve? After a fashion, um, like like most of us who are gamers, uh, I, I can't keep my mouth shut about games. I have to tinker. And uh, one reason I liked GURPS was because it was a tinker's friendly system. Yeah. And uh, I, I was always, I was online because I was a physicist, you understand. I was studying mm. physics. And the internet had been around in one form or another since the 80s. But the mm. internet we all understand and, and grasp today was more a thing of the 90s. It's mm. planted its seeds then. In fact, the uh, the World Wide Web was developed by a, part, a particle physicist in Switzerland, more or less. So I was there when it started, and uh, I was on this thing 
I guess, this thing that we, we call the web today, although it wasn't much like the web at the time, and Usenet and all these ancient things which are probably lost on half the people who <laughs> I'm speaking to right now. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I, I started voicing my very, my very uh, opinionated self uh, mm. about GURPS. And Steve kept noticing what I was saying because Steve, like many gamers, like all gamers really like to participate in these discussions. And yeah. at some point he said something that I, I think I could, I could say it politely, but I'll say it the way that he more or less put it. Well, would you put your money where your mouth is? And I, <laughs> and at the time I said, no, actually, because I'm studying the particle physics I have at the time. And then uh, there was this change in my life where particle physics suddenly became a secondary interest because I no longer had the frankly political or economic backing at my university. I had to rethink mm. well, what was I going to do with my time as well as man in Texas has offered me the opportunity to work on games, not just games, but a game I know. So the worst case scenario, I do that for a bit. How bad could it be? It's better than not being paid. And certainly it lets me do something I actually like for a living, which everyone says, do what you love for a living, which of course is almost impossible for most of us. But nonetheless, I said, well, here's an opportunity. So I, I took the opportunity. Okay. GURPS is um, a game that's you know deep in the simulation mold, I suppose. Yeah, is that a fair comment? You know, it's the, it's like we talked about creating a sense of verisimilitude, trying to give you um, a handle on your on your character and what's going on in the situation through mechanisms of play. Um, why do you prefer that over the sort of storytelling, um, looser, more abstract approach? The truth is, I don't prefer it. It's just simply, I guess from a design perspective, I, I, I find it easier because my mind is a mathematical, organized, logical one. So for mm -hmm. me, the simulation is the obvious, uh, obvious career path, you could put it that way. After yeah. all, I come from particle physics. You have to understand I've studied, you know, vast quantities of math and chemistry and physics of every different kind. And yeah. uh, I was always a bit of a I was always one of those people who was first in the class and did extra work and all that. So I was, that's how my mind worked. I was a bit of a, I don't know, what's the term? A geek, I guess. I don't know. Perhaps a nerd. One of those things anyway. And for me, that was the most accessible uh, course of action uh, from a design perspective, from a work, mm. work perspective, from earning my living. But from a gaming perspective, it's not a preference. It's not a strong preference anyway. Yeah. It's one that's there. It's always been there for me. But I've always liked uh, I've always been one of those gamers who, who put on the funny voices, wrote a couple pages of character background, who, when I'm the GM, has kind of convoluted plots that sort of, you know, of the Robert Jordan, George R. R. Martin level convoluted. So, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm, um, I mean, also we're just doing a little bit of history and I want to get into a little bit more about, you know, how you approach the game in a second. But uh, the bit I, I kind of feel I need to fill in before we go there is, you know, you've alluded to this. Steve suggested that maybe back as far as 95, there needed to be a fourth edition. But what, what led to it ultimately in 2004? Well, there were two, two forces that really pushed it to the fourth edition. Mm. The first force was the one I've already mentioned, which was that there was this vast library that was mm. developing rather out of control. Yep, you know, we had, I don't know how many dozens of writers that contributed to the system at that point. I did the math one time and I seem to remember that when I counted up all the names of the authors, it was well over a hundred. Wow. And each of them made a contribution to a world book or a supplement. But what happened mm. is gamers being gamers, they brought it into the rest of the game. Yeah. And first thing you know, bits started showing up everywhere, even where they weren't intended to be used. Mm. So there's this kind of growth by accretion. So by 2004, that growth had reached, I guess you could say, some sort of critical mass. Yeah. 
and there was just too much. It got to the point where gamers were actually saying, good Lord, how do we use this game? It is way too much. Yeah. And the second thing was, I believe we felt the market would allow us to do it. There was enough, right. I don't know if it was internal or external market forces. I don't know if it was Stu Jack's game's budget mm. was sufficiently large or sufficiently fluid that we could afford to do it. Mm. Or if the uh, marketing people, the salespeople looked at who was buying what and in what quantities and said, well, mm. this is the moment if we're going to do it, it has to be now. Perhaps a, mm. a combination of the two. You have to, you have to grasp that my, my situation is I'm a designer of rules and an editor of words and I speak and I interact with gamers. But at the end of the day, I make very few decisions that I term financial or, or executive. Mm. So Absolutely. this was kind of that side of things was presented to me. That was sort of what I was told. We're going to do this now because this is when the company wants to do it. But from my perspective, as a uh, as an editor of games and writer of games and player of games, it was uh, more a case of, all right, this is rather large. This is a yeah. runaway cancer of a system. It needs to be constrained a little bit. So, I mean, yeah, my next question was, what do you feel that fourth edition offers over third? I guess the first thing I'm going to say is, you're bringing it all together. A whole lot of things, I suppose. But yeah. yes, bringing it all together for me was the most important thing in 2004. Now, mm. if you asked me in 2020, it would be a different answer. But 2004, that was definitely the most important thing for me. All right. So in 2020, what does GURPS 4th edition offer over 3rd edition? Well, in the interval between uh, when 3rd edition was published and when I revised 4th edition, Stijex Games moved toward at least the possibility of electronic publishing. I know it's mm. a controversial subject. Not everyone likes uh, PDF. Yeah. But the fact is, once we started with Warehouse 23, which was originally called E23, because it was mm-hmm. like uh, E for electronic, I believe, and uh, we had the capacity to, to bring products to market much more quickly, and more to the point, much smaller, it's more specialized products, because previously we had to go to a printer, and we had a minimum of 96 pages to make it at all economically viable. And to be honest, 128 was better. And longer than 128 was even better than that. Mm. And uh, now we have the capacity suddenly to release things that were 12 and 20 and 30 and 40 pages long, which allowed writers to write what they wanted to write rather than what they wanted to write plus 80 words. of I wouldn't say padding. That wouldn't be just. Mm. But 80 words that would start to run down their creative juices, run down their creative energies and make them say, oh, goodness, when's this project going to end so I can just hand it in? And I think the resulting uh, products target more specific needs that gamers have, while at the same time adding fewer words overall to the system. So we still have mm-hmm. loads of supplements, but they're smaller, more focused supplements that leave me with less the sense that the game is going out of control in some sense, and more the sense that it's giving people just what they want, and more, more to the point, or at least equally so, more to what the authors want to say. And that's mm. what 20, 2020 brings, as opposed to, say, 2004 or 1995 or 1986. It's an amazing pedigree when you think about it. It's 16 years since the, you know, fourth edition was released. And before that, you know, when we are up to now 40, well, you know, 35, 34 years of history of GURPS. So there's plenty there, isn't there, to draw on? Yeah, I've personally been working on the system. It'll be 25 years this summer. Mm. And I still, in my mind, think of myself as a newcomer because I wasn't there in 1986 when Steve designed the thing. You know, I was just this yeah. gamer hanging around a university or something like that. But I realized that, yeah, probably 25 years is something like, uh, I don't know if it's something like a record, but it's certainly an awful lot of years to dedicate to one game system. And then I realized mm. the game system is older than that. And then I speak with gamers who've started it, and some of whom are 
younger than the game system, younger than me, sir. I'm not young. I, 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 I could put on a good show, but I shaved. You couldn't see the gray, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, fundamentally, uh, it's, it's quite a few years. A pedigree. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, it's certainly in, it, measured in years anyway, and certainly a number of supplements. Mm. Uh, two things that I really personally have enjoyed about the fourth edition supplements. And one of them is that like you talked about with these smaller publications is when I have a question about mm, what would be a good way of doing this. So I'll, I'll try and give you a concrete example. You know, I, I was playing around with the dungeon fantasy stuff, which is something I want to get onto in a minute. But um, I was thinking about, okay, so getting out of the dungeon, we're going into the wilderness. I pick out the wilderness supplement for that. Um, is it number 16 or something like that? And I, um, I was sort of thinking about, okay, so what happens if we get camping? I'm interested in, like I said, verisimilitude, detail. So hmm, what are the camping rules? And I come across, actually, there are, I think, two, maybe three different approaches to that that are kind of outlined in the supplement. And, of course, you get to cherry pick the one you want. Now, I know that some listeners will be sitting there thinking, well, couldn't you just make that up on the fly? You know, why do you need a supplement? You know, but for me, as a gamer, I found it very useful to have a look through and pick out and cherry pick out those elements that I find useful or I find interesting. Someone's done the thinking. Someone's also done the math. That'll probably be you, um, you know, and. And for me, that gives me a sense of confidence that when I bring it to the table, this will probably work. Um, is that something that, you know, has been part of uh, the process of developing the line over the years, this idea of giving people tools and ideas? Very much so. It's my belief. I'm one of those those odd people. I'm not a religious person, but at the same time, the idea of teach a man a fish and all that. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's my approach to pretty much everything in life. I, I I am a little skeptical of just handing people ready-made solutions, completely mm. ready-made solutions, and expecting them to be happy with that because my own experience is sooner or later you, you stray outside of that and you're left high and dry by a, a game that doesn't give you any you know, any tools external to your experience up to that moment in time. Yeah. Now, it's interesting you should pick that example. It's actually a great example because it's one I can expand on a little bit. Um, that is a Dungeon Fantasy supplement number 16. Mm. That is cut down from GURPS in general. So GURPS in general has much more on the subject of being eaten alive by bees or, or, or falling, <laughs> falling into, into crevasses and, and meeting a horrible doom. Uh, but I tried to keep it relatively straightforward, rapid, mm-hmm. simple rules there because that's dungeon fantasy. Dungeon fantasy is meant to focus on fighting monsters, coming back with treasure, becoming more powerful, having the nicest magic sword on the block and all that. It's not mm-hmm. really meant to focus on camping and, and bribery and city officials and all that good stuff. But at the yeah. same time, there are people who are going to want that. So it's yeah. got to be there. So the, the supplement is in itself, its existence is an acknowledgement of, and if you want more in your dungeon fantasy than just killing things and holes in the ground, here's outdoors where you can also kill things. Um, or you can be <laughs> alive by bees or bears or simply starve. Uh, those rules are there for those who want them, but they're still cut down from all the GURPS. But at the same time, they provide more detail yeah. than uh, the original uh, second volume in that series. The, the second volume, the Dungeons mm. volume, is really perhaps its title gives it away, but it's really mostly about holes in the ground. And it's got a little bit on where you go, the village you go beforehand to prepare, and a little bit on how you get to the hole in the ground, but not mm. much. But that's another approach to camping. It's more simplified. The one in mm. this. 16 is slightly more grown up, slightly more expanded upon. And then, of course, the rules in groups at large are much more complicated than that. So you've got these many levels, mm. and you can pick and choose which you use, as you say. And that snapshot right there is 
sort of my approach in general. Mm. And now I'm not an expert on camping, for example, so I wouldn't presume to write the book on camping. But I've been camping. I live in Canada. There are bears. There are actually bears that lead you here. So I'm not utterly inexperienced. I'm not utterly inexperienced either. It's just uh, less experienced with camping. But if were I to have a supplement just on camping, nothing but camping, mm. I would go to an author who'd done that, a lot of that and say, hey, look, mm. perhaps you'd like to write this. Or the author would approach me and say, hey, this is something I'm interested in. I would like to write this. And I would say, mm. as the line editor, the developer of the system, yeah, you've, you certainly know what you're talking about. So, yes, certainly. That's mm. part of what I do is make sure authors are matched. Part, I guess projects that I wouldn't say necessarily reflect their, their the arc of their entire life, but certainly an mm. interest if not a profession. All right. So imagine I'm a lapsed gamer, you know, um, typical listener to Roleplay Rescue, and I'm returning to the hobby after I'm maybe, I don't know, 20 years, say. Um, should I be considering GURPS as a game to play, actually? Yes, after a fashion. Uh, what I would say is, honestly, if you're coming, most gamers, let's be honest, most gamers coming back to gaming will be coming back to gaming with memories of having played some kind of fantasy game. There are mm. exceptions. There are notable exceptions. There, yeah. But I would say if you look at the numbers in the market, we can't really avoid the elephant in the room, which is that the vast majority of gamers came to gaming or continue to game or were at some point involved in gaming with Dungeons Dragons or one of its spin-offs, which is fantasy. It's hack and slash fantasy. Yes, of yeah. course you can tell stories. Of course you could have villages and, and kings and things that resemble more a fantasy novel. But at the end of the day, most people, that's not what they're doing. Mm. Um, and for those people, I would say yes, start with the dungeon fantasy role-playing game. It is what we call powered by GURPS, which is a way mm. of saying GURPS is the core rule set, but we're quietly hiding the GURPS bit as much as possible for those who might be intimidated by it. And it's certainly, if you learn that game system, you will learn enough to feel in your element once you finally try the rest of GURPS. So I would say yes from that perspective. Uh, if you're a non-fantasy gamer, the entry is perhaps a little more tricky. I wouldn't mm. say it's so tricky it's impossible, but it's trickier. I would say at that point you'd be wanting to look at a specific subset of GURPS, not all of GURPS, because mm -hmm. all of GURPS is rather large. You have to decide what you wish to game with, and then perhaps ask people who kept on gaming or play GURPS mm -hmm. or some someone who's kept their toe in in some fashion, say, okay, what bits of GURPS do I need for this genre, since I'm not mm -hmm. really a fan of fantasy. But as long as you pick the right bits, yes, mm -hmm. GURPS is absolutely a reasonable thing to get into. It's not a particularly difficult game to learn. And there are three other kind of treatments, aren't there? Um, uh, that are, at least that I can think of off the top of my head, other than Dungeon Fantasy, which, you know, the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, that wonderfully beautiful box game that you put out, uh, what's it, about three or four years ago now? Um, but, um, you know, a lot that came from you doing direct treatment of Dungeon Fantasy for GURPS. You, know, you got that sequence of modules that I just mentioned about, you know, number 16, Wilderness. Um, but you've also done Monster Hunters. So that's a quite high-powered, modern-ish, you know, go hunt vampires and werewolves kind of game, as I understand it. You've got Action, which tries to do 1980s cinematic movie stuff, you know, kind of thinking Die Hard and all that kind of stuff, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Sean is now <laughs> shooting guns at me, which is fantastic. And 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 after the end as well, which is you know uh, post-apocalyptic treatment, um, they are they intended to be that sort of first step into on into GURPS through a genre. Very much so. Um, when I'm being really very 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 boring and working mm. for my bosses, like 
I call them a genre treatments, genre treatments or whatever genre redux. You can use whatever term <laughs> you like. I, 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 I try to avoid speaking of buzzwords, but I've already said at the end of the day at least nine times so far. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, we get there eventually when we talk. But yes, um, this that was the intent. That was mm -hmm. very much the intent because what people say often is right. I like this genre a great deal, mm -hmm. but how do I? use it in GURPS. I mean, there's mm. vast library of supplements and now they're online and I have to look online and I still have to go to my game shop because some of the older ones are in paper. And now you're starting to sell them on Amazon versus, uh, you know, and, and I think uh, now we also have uh, quite a few in other environments. I mean, people are saying, which ones, for what edition, which printing, how do I do mm. this? This is insane. I'm just going to try something where it makes sense. So I said, mm. well, gee, we can make this make sense. There's nothing prevents us really from saying, mm. all right, rather than forcing people to buy, I'll take action because it made me make silly pistols with my fingers. Rather yeah. than forcing people to buy the martial arts book for the parts of people hit each other and the high tech book for pe parts where people shoot each other and all the shooting people supplements like gun foo, which is for cinematic shooting people and tactical shooting, which is for, you know, real serious uh, firearms tactician shooting people. And then, of course, oh, you need cars. Well, wait, we don't have a vehicles design system yet for fourth edition, so we have to go to third edition and convert for that. And then, and then, and then, and there's all these end ends mm. and so on. And I said, gee, I imagine we could probably condense the bits that you really need to play the game into two core modules, uh, mm. GURPS Action Heroes, GURPS Action Exploits, mm. which cover respectively action heroes and what they do. They're surprisingly uh, transparent titles. And <laughs> then um, I said, well, then we can add on things. What, what are add-ons? Well, okay, Furious Fists. Uh, I owe Bruce Lee for that one uh, because a good subset of action is, in fact, punching people a lot. And mm -hmm. then um, what comes after that? Well, the latest ones were Specialists, mm -hmm. which was inspired by the fact not everyone wants things to be quite as ready-made. And this allows people to have say firemen and paramedics as as action heroes as well as more traditional mm -hmm. military commandos and soldiers and then the latest was uh the fifth one i released uh dictionary danger which is all the horrible things that can happen to you <laughs> a to z because that amused me but it has things like getting chewed up by machinery and uh lifted up by giant magnets in a junkyard and dropped in your head and um i don't know pushed overboard etc etc the point being that all the rules in these supplements came from other bits of GURPS. When I put together the Dictionary Danger, uh, which is the most recent, so it's freshest to my mind, I went through vast quantities of GURPS books. All right, where's the rules for being, you know, where's the rules for huge machines and for blue torches and all the other dangerous stuff in the universe? And I said, all right, these are wonderful rules, but they're in 27 different places and they're far too complicated and each of them occupies a page. Well, I'm going to reduce them to sentences or paragraphs and I'm going to put them all in one small supplement and people can buy it. And yes, that'll probably deprive us of some sales of some larger books at some point. But the point is, these are people who wouldn't otherwise buy anything because mm -hmm. it's far too complicated. It's far too much. And when you put it all, I guess since this is action, I can say we put it all on their gun site, uh, mm -hmm. it's a little easier to, to, to grasp. And this is the approach of all the action supplements and all the Monster Hunters ones and all the Dungeon Fantasy ones and all the After the End ones. And if we do another supplement, another series of that kind, the supplements in that, that series will also be developed in that manner. Yeah, that's great. And of course, all you really require then is the basic set. Um, and and then the, the supplement you're talking about, you're talking about a couple of like eight buck um, supplements, you know, from, from uh, Warehouse 23. So nice and straightforward in. 
So I guess that's where I begin if I'm going to get back into this, isn't it? I pick some one of those treatments and get some mates and we have a go. Is that what we're, we're suggesting? We're, me, that's what I would do. Yeah. If I mm. were coming to grips now as opposed to, say, 1986, and I looked at mm. this monstrously huge system with lots and lots of editions and printings and things available mm. in every format imaginable, I would say, good Lord, where's the bit that lets me just do what I want to do? Mm. I suspect even though I know not a diehard dungeon gamer, I suspect I would pick the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game just because it is it is a box. And I like pretty boxes, I must admit. Mm. And the box kind of comes with an implicit promise. Everything you need to play this game is in here. Yeah. See, that's the thing with books and supplements online. You don't really get that promise. But the box, it's sort of a promise. There might be other bits, but at a minimum, you can play with what's in this box. And yeah. that would be, I guess, uh, where I would start. And then, knowing my own mind, I would probably want to get those other Dungeon Fantasy modules that are external to that game, that really go with mm. the greater groups. And uh, that would probably pull me toward other genre treatments. And I would say, well, gee, there's this other one for my, my... I like action, which is why I wrote it. It's this other one for, you know, ridiculous action movies. That that could be fun. I'm not a big gamer of... Uh, I'm a big player of games focusing on modern-day monsters. You know, I... I, I I guess I've watched through numerous television series on the subject, but it's one of those things I always think makes for better TV than 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 gaming. But at the same time, I would be outvoted by my friends who who actually quite like that. So yeah. since I'm the perpetual GM, I'd probably end up buying that one too and playing with that one. So it sounds like we're almost identical in how we'd approach this because you know a year ago when I started to get back into GURPS, that's exactly what I did: Dungeon Fantasy box set. You know, Dungeons Fantasy role-playing game, and I've been running my Dungeons of Thal campaign online for you know about a year, just under a year, uh, and now we've got to the point where we're stretching our wings. So I guess the next and most logical thing is go for action or monster hunters or after the end, and then from there into the basic set. What I wanted to ask is when I get to coming back to the basic set and wanting to do my own thing, you know, building the world the way I want to do it, what would you be your best advice for that moment? My best advice for that moment would be to take to heart what the basic set says about the game master being the final referee, decider of rules, and not to be too wound up and tied up and constrained by the rules. Because mm. there's a tendency among gamers to go that way. I don't know where it comes from. I, I was in the uh, 80s, among other things, a punk rocker, and I was always rebelling against rules. And I never quite understood the 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 obsession with rules some gamers have. But I do understand that it's there. And I would mm. encourage gamers to get away from that. GURPS is not, I guess, what I would call a prescriptive rule set. Mm. It GURPS is a descriptive one, which, if you think about it for a second, is almost necessary if you wish to have a simulation. You're mm. describing something with simulation. The minute you start prescribing, you're presuming to say, all right, these rules are all you really need to adequately represent something in the real world. And... Mm short of actually having the complexity of the real world in your game, that'll never be true. But if you describe it adequately, you can come to sort of what a physicist would call a zeroth, a first order approximation of reality, which is usually good enough. So that's the first thing I would say to anyone coming to GURPS. I would say, mm. don't look at this as a prescription for how you must run your game. Look at this mm. as a set of tools for how you could run your game. It's interesting you talk about that because you know, many listeners that I have are they're coming from that kind of old school D and D community. You know, they're playing games that classic games, really ranging from sort of original Dungeons and Dragons through to first edition and advanced Dungeons and Dragons that you know you yourself have played. 
is there anything that Goetz would offer them? Because in that movement, there is this this sort of rulings and not rules kind of mantra that kind of comes out a lot. And there's a lot of thought about, you know, if it's lighter, it must be easier. It offers me more space for narrative freedom and all that, that stuff. Um, and yet when I, when I talk about running GURPS with these people, you know, and I talk about that on the podcast, I often, I met with the, well, you know, GURPS, wow, that's pretty crunchy and that's heavy and that's complicated. And basically the implied message is don't bother, you know, so what would you say in the response to that? What what could GURPS offer someone if you don't necessarily want to go down, like you said, that prescriptive route? Well, first off, uh, if you wish to avoid prescription, it's funny, but uh, the more tools you have in the box, the less constrained you are, the less prescriptive the game is going to be perforce. Uh, it's it's not as if, I mean, when you, uh, I guess what I'm saying is if you have just one core rule set and it tells mm -hmm. you how to do everything, and it's a very small number of supplements. That's wonderful, but in many ways, that's telling you how you must run your game. Mm. It's not giving you any leeway exterior to that, external to that. But mm. at the same time, it's important to respect the fact that for some people, that's what they want, because mm. for them, the creativity to, to, to run their game in a less prescriptive fashion comes from an absence of rules. And that's mm. a valid approach. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shoot down that approach. But one thing I will shoot at, uh, gleefully, is this concept that GURPS is somehow heavy or complicated, because it really isn't. It's mm. heavy in the sense that there's a mass of rule books, mass supplements, yes, certainly, mm. but you don't use them all at any given point. It's a bit like saying Lego is heavy because there are all those bits. Yeah. Well, it can't it, it's true. If you try to use every bit in your box of Lego, then <laughs> You're, yeah, it's going to be heavy. In fact, you're going to end up with some monstrous thing that doesn't resemble really what you had in mind at all. And then it's going to come apart. You're going to walk on the small bits and hurt your feet. On the other hand, if you look at each individual bit of Lego, you can put together whatever you like from them. And sometimes simplicity comes from the smallest things. That's, that's how I see GURPS as a rule set. Now, the other complaint, I guess you could say against GURPS, is that it's complicated. And this is the one I, I have difficulty understanding because GURPS fundamentally really has very few game mechanics. It is one sort of dice, six-sided dice, one game mechanic for, for task resolution, which is you roll three of them, add them up, and compare them to a number. And then a couple of extra mechanics for reactions from mm. people, which fundamentally still rolling three dice, except now you're, you're hoping to roll high as opposed to low. And then uh, breaking things, damage, effect, whatever you wish to call it, uh, mm -hmm. which is rolling dice, and again, higher is better. So really, if your idea of difficult is rolling two or three six-sided dice and looking for either the higher or the lower number relative to some, some value, then I would say role-play games perhaps aren't the best hobby for you. But that, <laughs> this, this is because I, I've played the games where each type of task involves different sidedness of dice, different numbers of dice, sometimes yeah. high, sometimes low, sometimes in the middle, sometimes you're trying to roll all specifically, I want zeros or I want ones or I want tens or whatever. And sometimes you're comparing numbers of dice, so numbers of successes, sometimes you're comparing margins of successes. Sometimes you have to look at this table, sometimes you have to look at that table. GURPS is relatively straightforward. It doesn't have that many tables you have to use. There are some optional mm -hmm. tables you could use, but GURPS for the most part, uh, I've played GURPS, before I was the line editor of GURPS, I should add, before I worked on GURPS, before I was even particularly expert at GURPS, I went to a little games convention in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is where I'm from, and we'd forgotten our GURPS, and no one that was playing GURPS, we were heartbroken, oh, there's no GURPS, this is terrible. 
So we decided to play GURPS anyway. We managed to play GURPS because we found three six-sided dice we'd stolen from someone's, I don't know, someone's war game. And a hex map we'd stolen from someone else's, uh, I think from a hero game or some such thing. And some coins, some, some, some pennies for mm. counts. And we started playing it anyway from memory. And we did a pretty good job of it. I mean, obviously we made mistakes, but it's really not that complicated. I guess the biggest thing that sort of seems to be a barrier for a lot of people, and I know that for me it was certainly um, tricky to get my head around, was this concept of it being a toolkit. Because that as an analogy, I think is something that people haven't fully understood you know what that actually means you've got a set, a set of tools and like you just said a few minutes ago you don't have to use all the sort of value would be ridiculous wouldn't it if i was trying to build something or make something that i would use every tool in my toolbox just for the sake of it um and yet it seems to be quite difficult people are you know they're kind of confronted with like even with the basic set rule book and there's a, even there you know dozens of options for things you know lots and lots of different approaches and there kind of becomes an overwhelm um I'm not sure why that is, really. A bit, bit like you sort of said, in some respects, it boils down to some simple stuff. But for me, it did take a long while. I bought GURPS in 2004, and you know, we we're talking about a couple of years ago now when I started to try and get, actually get into this game, finally overcome that. Do you have any insight into why that is, why people get that overwhelm? Well, I think part of it is the gaming mindset. If you're a mm. gamer, you want to play any kind of... Uh game that approaches being a simulation. I'm not confining myself to role-playing games here. I mean, mm. on some level, even risk is a simulation. If, if mm -hmm. a very coarse-grained one, uh, then there are more complicated war games. Then there are mm. other board games, you know, like tactical board games for combat or for cars or what have you. Mm. And then you look at other types of games, even card games to some extent. There's, there's a strategy involved. You build mm. your deck. You know, mm. Building a deck that's using a set of tools uh and so forth this is where gamers come from this is how gamers think they they sort of they want to simulate they want mm. to use tools but the problem is that gamers also i i believe they're imaginative people at heart at core most gamers want to create a world they want to imagine a person in that world mm. they want to imagine being that person or for the game master they want to imagine complicated plots involving lots of people and once you're you take an imaginative person and then the tools to express their imagination. There's a tendency to go a bit mad with the tools. Um, <laughs> it, it's very true. I mean, uh, you see this, and it's not just gamers. It's anyone who's who's remotely imaginative in any environment that's remotely uh, expressive, that allows expression. One of my other hobbies that isn't gaming is Argentine tango. And when people first learn to dance this dance, they learn a whole bunch of movements and steps. and it's an improvised dance. It's not a dance which has a base pattern or a set of rules where how how you must dance to this music. It, it's not yeah. like it's not prescriptive in, yeah. in that sense. It's, it just gives you tools to describe. And the first thing people do when they learn how to dance is they they dance every possible step they know. One piece of music plays. It's two and a half minutes long, and they put their <laughs> poor partner through seven thousand different steps, complicated ones that don't even necessarily fit the music. And then at the end, they say, "I'll never be any good at this. I'll be terrible at this. My partner didn't understand half what we we're trying to do, and I didn't understand the music." <laughs> and you realize it's the same idea. It's it's a tendency when you start out with something to want to explore every corner of it. You know, in the case mm -hmm. of tango, I paid hundreds or thousands of dollars for these tango lessons, damn it. I'm going to get my money's worth, my, the value out of them. <laughs> it's the same with gaming. I, I, I bought this vast gaming library, and now I'm going to use it. The, the willpower to, to hold back 
from expressing your, your imagination when you've got all these wonderful tools to do it. That we don't all have that. I, I don't I'm not gonna pretend I've got it. Uh, yeah. it's it's difficult to be, mm. to be certain. And the thing you you need to help I guess help with that is not necessarily a, you don't necessarily need a mentor, but you certainly need somebody who's willing to say, wait, wait, really, you'll be able to use this eventually, but uh, try to use just this bit of it right now. And to a greater or lesser extent, every gamer, I, I believe, needs that. The question is whether every gamer is willing to accept such ex such counsel. And it's not true that we all are willing to accept counsel in every part of our life. Mm. Doug Cole, when I spoke to him recently, he made the, the point that GURPS is a subtractive game. You have to decide what you're going to take out. It's almost like he was describing kind of going to his bookshelf and going, right, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need this book. I don't need that book. You know, and you get down to for the thing I've got in my head right now, this is what I need. And obviously, I think what you've uh, described earlier with the four kind of key treatments that GURPS has given for dungeon fantasy, you know, after the end, monster hunters, and and for what we're talking about, action, um, that's what you've done for people, right? You've kind of said, this is paring it down. It's what you need to do that thing. Is that what each dungeon master has to do? Every game master has to do, sit there and go, no, 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 I don't need that. I don't need that. Yeah, what, what what you see here is, is is a red pen and a blue pen. Editors mm. used these in the old days. We don't use them anymore, but we used to. <laughs> and when I put together those supplements that you're talking about, mm. I did the virtual red and blue penning of everything. Uh, there was mm. a lot of things cut, a lot of things questioned, a lot of things corrected. And mm. yeah, a game, a game master who wishes to do, I guess, uh, to do something similar, mm. rather than going to a genre treatment I've already done ahead of time, is pretty much obliged to be their own editor, pretty much obliged mm. to subtract. Doug is absolutely right on that. Mm. Another analogy uh, that was came up years ago for GURPS, but I find it rather apt and it amuses me, was that GURPS is effectively, I hope I don't offend those who do not eat meat, but it, effectively GURPS is a whole cow. And mm -hmm. you can attempt to eat the whole cow if you wish, but you understand this is a very, very bad idea. Mm. Uh, if you don't eat meat, then GURPS is, I don't know, some other large object you perhaps not want to eat all of, such as the entirety <laughs> of loaf of bread or, or all of a watermelon or something. The point is that mm. it's rather large and you want to slice it up and take just the bits you want. And mm. when you try to stuff it all in, it's gourmandizing the system. It's not going to work. That's, I guess, what you call additive gaming. You know, I'm going to add everything in to my game all the time. So trap me in the head is seeking a little bit of simplicity for the sake of sanity. Mm. And with GURPS, you have to do this, and I would argue for most games, you actually have to do this. I don't know any Dungeons & Dragons Game Masters for any edition who used every possible character class and every possible optional magic rule and every possible everything that was ever put out for that edition of Dungeons & Dragons. Mm. And that's, I guess we say, the gold standard of game systems in our hobby. I, I mean, most people are familiar with it. And yet, you'll find very few Dungeon Masters who are going to say, okay, I'm going to admit this bizarre class you found in some strange third-party publication which seems a little iffy to me at best it, you know, seems to have all the abilities of every other class and some extra ones and oh they're not allowed to wear blue on tuesdays and the point is that you, you've got you've got to subtract on some level it's just a question of how much you're willing to subtract and how much you're willing to attract say the trust the publisher to do the subtraction for you as opposed to um as opposed to no i know best i'm going to do it myself and that that's mm. that's an open question. I haven't an answer to that. I mean, which is better? I don't know. I, mm. You have to decide for yourself. Are you someone who likes 
allow someone else to do the work for you? Are you like, are you one of these people who prefers to take your own falls, you know, burn your hand on the hot element of the stove a few times yourself? That's valid mm. too. I became a scientist because of that. So I'm not going to mm. shoot it down. But both approaches are viable, but either way you're subtracting ultimately. The question is, are you allowing someone else to subtract? Are you doing the subtracting? Thank you. That's great. It's really insightful, actually. I think like some of these analogies, you're one of the few people I've interviewed who manages to stick to a metaphor um, without overly mixing them. It's great. I make an effort, but I, I still mix them. I certainly, uh, <laughs> I certainly mix my metaphors at times. It's but as fun as shooting monkeys in a barrel and so on. But, you know, anyway, that well, that's those aren't metaphors, but we'll, we'll, we'll not go there. So... Uh, Kind of getting towards the end of our time together, I just wanted to ask you, what do you feel is the real value of role-playing games as opposed to board games and card games and war games and all those other things? What do you particularly think is valuable about role-playing games? They allow you to explore mm -hmm. a side of yourself which is um, perhaps not necessarily socially acceptable, perhaps it is, but it's not what you'll ever be. Mm. Uh, it allows you to look at other people other possible lives, other possible ways of approaching life, other philosophies for living, and explore those. Now, obviously, you can boil them down to, I like to whack things with a sword, or I like to shoot things with a hand cannon, and that's that's what makes you happy. I suppose you can do that. Um, but the point is that it allows you to have this exploration of persona mm. and of the environment in which personas develop, because no person develops in a vacuum. Someone who grew up in medieval Europe will not have the same background as someone who grew up in, I don't know, United States Civil War, North America, and will not be the same as someone who grew up during uh, wars between the, the Zulus and pretty much everyone, and not someone who grew up being a convict in Australia, and not someone who's living in space in year 3000 or whatever. You, uh, the point is that the, these are... These explorations of setting, which go with explorations of person, and these explorations of person which go with explorations of setting, aren't especially possible in other kinds of games. For the most part, board games focus on what's in front of you, which tends to be a tactical solution or perhaps a strategic one to a certain mm. kind of problem. It's problem solving on some level, it's tactics on some level, it's strategy on some level, it's resource management on some level. Now, these things all exist in role playing games, but they're not the they're not the meat of a role-playing game, not the heart of a role-playing game. They're mm. tools, as we discussed, uh, for making the role-playing game go more smoothly if you wish it to be any kind of simulation. Simulation mm. of a psyche, simulation of a universe, simulation of hitting things of a sort. Mm. Um, likewise, card games are fundamentally sort of competitive problem-solving, and that touches on another aspect of most of the games are by nature competitive. I, I won't mm. say all. There are cooperative games, obviously, but... The majority of board games, the majority of card games, the majority of dice games, someone has to win. The majority mm -hmm. of computer games, though there are cooperative games out there, there's still an awful lot of, I'm going to win, or at least I'm going to beat the other guys down on you better. <laughs> but role-playing games, you can do that, but that's not the force, or even necessarily the thing you want to do with them. It's something mm -hmm. that's possible, because you could imagine anything, you could probably put it in a role-playing game. But it's not the thing you do. It's not. It's not the thing you do sort of by default in a role-playing game. Mm. So I'd say role-playing games give you a chance to express a persona, explore a world, cooperate in doing so, which is empowering in many ways. In fact, gamers have a tendency to be fans of the kinds of fiction that they later put in their games. But in the fiction, it's some author or director who is telling you, okay, this is how the fiction is going to go. And in fact, when you're an author of fiction, your fans yelling at you, no, it shouldn't have gone that way. 
And you can laugh at them all the way to the bank, or you can listen to them, or you can talk to them on forums. But at the end of the day, you're going to write your book the way you're going to write your book. Likewise, I rather doubt that Peter Jackson, when he adapted Lord of the Rings, was too terribly worried about not just Lord of the Rings fans, but to a certain extent, even how people read the novels imagine the setting, or even to a certain extent, how the people who own the rights to the novels imagine the setting. They allowed him to do it, obviously, but he probably didn't do things exactly as they imagined it, because he was in control of that fiction. And he has a certain number of running minutes. He may have created a huge, vast series of, of movies which ran forever and ever until years to come out. But fundamentally, he had producers he had to answer to and theater owners and, and, and people selling his media online and so on who are going to say, look, people have attention span of this length. Here is how many minutes you have to tell the story. And I'm fairly certain that while the actors might have been allowed to live to a certain extent, they weren't allowed to just take on the role of their own. It would be rather interesting if, you know, suddenly one of the actors had said, no, no, Boromir isn't going to die. Ha ha. Look, he's just murdered Aragorn <laughs> with a sword on screen and you paid for it. I mean, that would have been a little bit special anyway. Whereas in role-playing games, this can happen. And uh, role-playing games allow you to have that level of exploration. Granted, you're supposed to play nicely with others, but it's not just the GM telling you what to do. It's you have to play with your friends or they're not going to stay your friends for very long. And you're going to perhaps account, you know, recount this later on to, to your other friends who aren't in your game. They're going to say, oh, that's interesting. I'd like to play a game like that. It's going to be a lot more interesting if there are little surprises that came from all the various gamers that were in the group adding their elements to the story. So role-playing games have this vast richness of, of, of agency to offer, which somewhat absent other kinds of games unless you mm. unless you consider agency invading russia which is of course the kind of agency but perhaps perhaps it's less personality unless you're megalomaniac and more um, and more military strategy mm. that's brilliant thank you any last words for the returning gamer then anything advice you'd give to someone who is kind of on the edge there tempted not necessarily by GURPS but just about coming back to the hobby and you know, maybe you've got through your kids and you've you know your career's mental but you want that bit of space any any tips you'd give to anyone well the main tips i would give anyone trying to get in a role-playing game is right now are probably tips i'd give in years ago and that is play the game as you want to play the game with people you like to play games with and mm. don't be too concerned about the rules because at the end of the day there are not secret rules police no matter what system we're going to come to your door and tell you you're doing it wrong there are people online who tell you you're doing it wrong but the people online who tell you you're drinking your 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 your, your soft drink wrong i make cocktails as a hobby the people tell me i make my daiquiris wrong i mean right. hobbyists <laughs> by nature are a bit fanatical and they'll tell you you're doing things wrong but at the end of the day i said it about 12 times now um Finally, when you when you get down to your gaming table with your friends and you're playing your game, there's no wrong if everyone's having fun, if everyone's happy. So if the rules tell you you're doing things differently from perhaps the way you should, the answer is to get rid of this verb should. Mm -hmm. uh, why should you do it that way? Why shouldn't you do it the way you, you wish to do it? And I would say it's true of any game, however prescriptive and however bossy the rules might seem. Mm -hmm. If you get one like GURPS where it's a toolkit, you're perhaps in luck in the sense that you'll have less of that bossiness coming out, but you'll also be a bit drowned by the possibilities tools offer. If you get a more mm. prescriptive one that offers you fewer tools, you'll be bossed around more, but perhaps you'll be less overwhelmed by the tools. You have to decide for yourself, looking at your own mentality, okay, am I somebody who needs to be told what to do and who doesn't like to be who doesn't like to be put 
in a in a room with tools to say build a house, or am I mm. someone who prefers to be told a little bit what to do, and who likes to have a clear picture of where we're going because I've got exactly four hours of gaming for the children come storming in and murder me, mm. and uh, I don't have time to set it up and think about how it's going to go. And you have to decide for yourself. I can't decide for you. Nobody can decide for you. But whatever decision you make in that regard, one, the other, somewhere in the middle, make sure you're gaming the way you wish to game, and don't let the rules be the be the boss. You're the boss of the mm. rules. You're the one who went out and bought the rules. Fundamentally, you own them. You, you shouldn't let them own you. And that's what I would tell anybody getting back into gaming, or even somebody who's currently gaming, but especially people getting back into gaming because them they're in a situation where it's very easy to imagine. All right, I don't know where to start, so I'm going to start where the book in front of me tells me I should start. Mm. And right there, there's a tendency to be drawn into those rules. And uh, someone who's gamed for a long time and continued to game perhaps will be a little more skeptical of those rules. But fundamentally, you should always be a little skeptical of the rules. Uh, I I design rules for a living. I'm not going to tell you they're perfect. They're not. I'm not even going to tell you they're always good. They're sometimes not going to be good. I work on a deadline like everyone else. But we try to do the best we can. But fundamentally, we can't do the best we can for every single person who might pick up those rules. Sean, it's been brilliant. Thanks very, so very much for your time. Thank you Excellent. for letting me blather. I know I talk a great deal rather quickly with a strange Canadian accent, but... <laughs> oh, it's fabulous, fabulous stuff. And thanks, yeah, just for talking us through what GURPS is and what it offers. It's just absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this special bonus episode of Roleplay Rescue. It was made possible by the generous support of 32 Patreon supporters through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. The two 30 Patreon bonus episodes, of which this is the second, were conceived by the setting of a goal to reach, well, you guessed it, 30 patrons. Thank you to all of the patrons of the show for voting that we approached Steve Jackson Games for an interview. And of course... Thank you to both Steve Jackson and Sean Punch for agreeing to come on the show. If you're a new listener who enjoyed this, consider delving into the back catalogue and seeing what you make of past episodes. Season 1 was a long time ago now, but there are still some diamonds hidden away in there. And if listening to me witter on about role-playing games proves appealing, well, come and join the community. I do have a special request for anyone listening on Apple Podcasts. Because of the way Apple promotes podcasts, it would be great to have a positive review from you to boost our visibility there. If you could take a couple of minutes to add a rating, or even better, post a review, I would be very grateful indeed. Whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on, if you've enjoyed listening to Sean, please consider sharing the episode on social media. On that note, I'm going to sign off. Don't forget, because we're an anchor podcast, you can drop me a voice message if you have any comments or questions. Details on how to do that are in the show notes. Your contributions, they really do make this a better podcast. And thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. I'm Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. I hope to see you again soon. Game on. <laughs>